I want to talk to you today about the Creator is our helper. The Creator is our helper. Those are two different terms, Creator, Helper. And yet they all come together in one, as we're going to see. There's one book in the New Testament that no one knows who wrote it. It's the only book in the New Testament that there's real controversy over who wrote that book. And that's the book or letter called Hebrews. Some think Paul wrote it. Some think uh, Peter wrote it. Some think I've seen theories where they think Apollos wrote it. We don't know who wrote it, but it's part of inspired scripture. And I want to point out to you about this book. Let's look at it from just the introduction of it, the first couple verses in chapter 1. And then we'll get to the one verse I want to leave with you today. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors, speaking of the Jewish people, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, so notice from the time of Christ, it's considered the last days. We're living in the last days. Maybe we're living in the last of the last days. By the way, pray for that family in Memphis. We prayed upstairs of that young, young man, 29 years old, who's brutally killed. Just, it's just a horrific thing. All in favor of praying for that family, say amen. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Jesus is going to inherit everything and rule over everything. And through whom also he, God, made the universe. That's a mysterious verse. God made the universe through Jesus in a way we're not able to totally comprehend. But through Jesus, God made the whole universe, which we're going to get to in a second. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins by dying on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. There's a whole lot there, but let's just get this part down. What Hebrews is about is the fact of don't go back to Judaism, but cling to Jesus, hold on to Jesus, because in the Old Testament, God spoke one way through this prophet, Isaiah, Samuel, Moses before all of them, and then he said something through Malachi, and he spoke through David when he wrote the Psalms. But in these last days, God's message is Jesus. Please remember that when you witness and talk to people, Go past the word God or creator and talk about Jesus. The demons don't tremble when you say the holy one or the creator. The demons tremble when you say Jesus, the son of God. Can we say amen to that? It's Jesus. To fit in with a very politically correct world, a lot of people now are downplaying Jesus because that's where the controversy comes. You can say God. You can say Lord to Hare Krishna people, it's Lord Hare Krishna. They, they, they don't mind Lord. They don't mind God. They don't mind creator. But Jesus. And that's something. He foretold that and it's come to pass. So the writer of Hebrews, whoever he is, is saying to the people, you've got to hang on to Jesus. 
Don't go back. Don't go on a, a rabbit trail over here. Don't go into church, churchanity. Don't go into traditionalism. Don't go into formalism. Don't go into Brooklyn tabernacleism. Hold on to Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Because the book goes on, the letter goes on to say, Jesus is greater than anything you've read about, heard about, anywhere in the scripture. By the way, this book really covers that. He is greater than angels. No angel could approach Jesus, although angels are superior to human beings. He's greater than any prophet that ever lived. He's greater than Moses and all the other prophets. He's the ultimate prophet. And the Jewish system of having a high priest who went into a room called the Holy of Holies once a year to make atonement for sin. Jesus is greater than any Aaron or any of his descendants. He is our personal high priest. You don't have to call a priest if you're in an emergency. You can call on Jesus. You don't need a clergyman. You don't have to call the Brooklyn Tabernacle. How many are happy we can call on the name of the Lord at any given moment in our lives? So Jesus transcends all of that. He's greater than anyone. If you're going to teach, by the way, in a Bible study or someone's watching here and you're called to speak, and you're gonna, you feel led to go to the Old Testament and teach from it. That's good. But quickly, from wherever you are in the Old Testament, get to Jesus. Because here's another thing that the book brings out. Jesus alone is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible, but he wants us to know what he's like. So he sent his own son. Jesus was called Emmanuel, God with us. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said any other picture of God that we contrive except in the face of Jesus is of the devil. You can get a verse here, a verse here, and create a monster God. But if you really want to know what God is like, study Jesus. Look at Jesus. Analyze Jesus. Meditate on Jesus. He alone is the image of the invisible God. You want to know what God feels about sin? Look at Jesus. He died. That's how serious sin is. He had to die to remove sin. You want to know what God feels about women, children, men, elderly, whatever? Jesus. Jesus. Only Jesus. Thirdly, it talks about not only the centrality of Jesus, but the ongoing ministry of Jesus, which is I want to leave you with. The fact that Jesus not only died for the purification of sin, died on the cross. You all know that, don't you? You don't get saved by coming to church. You can't get saved because of what your parents are. You have to have your own experience with the one who hung on a cross and was cursed for my sin and your sin. He bore the curse so we would be blessed. We have eternal life because he died for us. But even after he died and rose from the dead, proving he was the son of God, he ascended into heaven where he is our high priest representing us before God in a way, again, we fully can't comprehend. So the letter of Hebrews is about hanging on to Jesus and trusting in Jesus. And then there's one of the biggest therefores in the Bible in chapter 4, kind of summing up to that point all the writing. And it says in Hebrews 4, therefore, wherefore, therefore, because of who Jesus is, what he's done, his greatness, 
Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Don't be shaken. Don't be pulled away. This teaching, that teaching, hang on to Jesus. The judgment on me at the end of the day or any minister or pastor is, did you lead the people into Jesus or yourself? Did you get them all into Brooklyn Tabernacle or did you get them into Jesus? Did they become Protestants or Catholics or Evangelicals or Calvinists or Arminians or Pentecostals or did they get a closer relationship with Jesus? Anything else that draws us away from Jesus is trouble with a capital T. So it says here, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So now we get to the nitty-gritty of this. We have this juxtaposition that through Jesus, God created the heavens and the earth. And yet, Jesus is sensitive and empathizes with every single thing you're going through today. The writer is leading us to a conclusion of, you have to understand this, the creator is our helper. The one who is omnipotent, that means has all power. That omnipotent God is also able, like right now while I'm talking, he knows everything I'm going through in my life. He knows everything you're going through, subtle things, emotional things, hurt, pain, someone acting mean to you, on the job, some coworker just hurting you, stress, panic attacks, a wayward child that rips your heart out, attacks by the enemy of fear, Temptation. In other words, everything you're going through, this writer is trying to say, we don't have a God who can't empathize with what we're going through because he's so powerful and so far away. How could he know my everyday stuff? He does. And yet he's the one who has all power. Do you get it? He has all power, yet he's as gentle as a baby's touch. So he has all power, which gives us confidence that we can go to him with our stuff. And our problem, because as you're going to see here, there's nothing like big to God. Whatever problem you big that you bring to God, he, in heaven, God never goes, what in the world is that? How did you get in that jam? Nothing. There's nothing too small for God. The littlest things can be brought to God, and he's interested in them, even though he has all power. By the way, we're going to pray on Tuesday, next Thursday of this week. I'm speaking and the singers are singing at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. in front of the president, the vice president, joint chiefs of staff, all these congressional people and all of that. And we need the blessing of God. Do I get an amen? We need <laughs> Sermons I can give. I've been doing this long enough. But a word from the Lord, now that's something totally different. And them being able to sing and leave an imprint on someone's heart about Jesus. We're going to pray, really focus on Tuesday that God will use us for his glory. But my wife needed something here. Uh, she needed a, a, a suit. She needs a black suit. Uh, we'll just, since we're vulnerable today with Kimberly, I'm giving out my family business here. She needs a black suit, but she didn't sleep all night. She went to bed at 7 a.m., just laid there because she wasn't feeling well. So I get up, 
and I see that she's discombobulated. And I, she said, I, how am I going to get a suit? And then I have to do practice this and that with the singers and that. And I go, don't worry about it. I'm going to get you a suit. And she went, how are you going to get me a suit? I said, no, I'm going to get a suit for you. God's going to provide a suit, and it's going to work, and the whole thing. And I know nothing about style. I know nothing about anything. I just know a black suit is a black suit. So I'm walking down Livingston Street toward Macy's. My mother used to work there when it was Abraham and... Oh, how many remember Abraham and... Are you kidding me? You all... You're older than I thought you were. Wow. You're looking good, by the way, for that. So I'm walking down Livingston Street, and I begin to pray. Lord, I'm going into this store, and I need a suit for my wife. Now, you might say, that's stupid. Yeah? Nothing's too little for God. Nothing's too big for God. So I'm walking down Livingston Street, and I'm praying. I'm praying up a storm. God, I'm going in there. I know nothing about anything. I know general size. I know, I think what she likes, but I'm going in there. So I prayed. I'm walking into the building and I'm praying, God, lead me to someone who's not mean and who will take time and just lead me because I'm on a mission here. You all might laugh, but listen, don't laugh. I'm now enter in Livingston Street entrance. I go up the escalator. Kevin, I'm going up the escalator, and I'm praying on the escalator. Lord, I'm going to hit the second floor. That's where the women's clothes are. Am I right, ladies? Right. And God, I'm going to walk, and I'm going to find the first lady that I can find who has a name tag on, who's not at a a cash register, because then they won't help you. They won't walk around. I need someone to take me where I need to go. I need to get to the promised land (laughs) of, of a black suit. So I go in, and I go up the escalator, and I make a left. There's nobody. And I'm saying, God, it's the first one. I'm going to, please, lead me to the person. So I go to the, make another left, and there's a lady working on a rack, and I see a name tag, and I walk up to her. I go, ma'am, I'm going to tell you the truth now exactly how I did it. I said, ma'am, I will buy you lunch <laughs> if you get me a black suit for my wife. I will give you money for lunch because I need a black suit. So she said, no, I'm not going to want your money. That's what I'm supposed to do. But another lady is walking by, real vintage Brooklyn like myself, okay? And she hears what I say and she goes, I take the money. It sounds like a good deal to me. I'm like, okay. So the lady says, yeah. So we walk, and now we're going toward a certain place and different names and all these things. She brings this thing, and she says, how about this? I went, yeah, I think so. And she goes, but Pastor Simbola, Carol would look good in this. (laughs) And I go, how do you know me? She said, no, I go to your church, but... I haven't been there for a long time because they have me working on Sundays from 8 in the morning till a certain time in the mid-afternoon. And, you know, Pastor Simula, I started to tithe recently. I've been robbing God for a long time. I see it now. And, you know, I've had trouble with my finances, and God's helping me so much now. 
He's helping me. I've been giving, and the Lord is giving back to me and helping me. And I went, you know, her name is Samantha. I'm going to introduce her to you next time she's here. I'm going to find a way to get her here. And I said, Samantha, you're an answer to prayer. I was walking here, and I was praying to meet someone like you. She said, no, I was thinking of you and Carol all morning, that I never get to see you and talk to you. And there, come on, is God amazing? Come on. So when you see my wife directing on Thursday in, in the Capitol, and you see that suit, just go past the symbol. He's a bad little puppy. Whoa. <laughs> come on, how many believe God is interested in every, come on, everything? Because in myself, I would be helpless to find that. So God is so great. God is so great. You want to know how great God is? And then we'll end with how gentle God is. God is way greater than any of you could ever imagine. In fact, his greatness, you know, he's written two letters to us. One is called the Bible. Then he's written nature. The Bible talks about that the, the universe, the earth, speaks of uh, his greatness. So I need to just refer to some notes here in a second. But there is a hovering telescope called the James Webb Telescope, which is orbiting, listen, 940,000 miles above the earth. They sent it out. It costs $10 billion. It's got all kinds of complex mirrors and everything to it. And what it's doing is taking pictures deeper and farther into the universe than has ever been seen. And what it's finding is amazing. But before I show you something, some, what they found is they now are confirming the fact that has been discussed now for a couple of decades that the earth had a beginning. They're calling it the Big Bang Theory. We call it, and God created the heavens and the earth, which everybody denied. And they taught, even Einstein was behind the curve on that, that the universe had limits and that it was eternal. And now they know it did not always exist because the universe, as they're finding, is expanding. It's going out. It's going out and it's moving out and stars are forming and the thing is moving out. So if you reverse that and go back this way, all right, there was less universe, there was less universe, less stars, less everything until you get to a finite point of a milli, milli, millisecond where there was nothing until somehow God said, let it be done. And it exploded, and time began, matter began, energy began, all at a, sec a split second, but it's beyond a split second. There was once nothing, and out of nothing, God only could make something. So someone could say it just happened. How could it happen where there was at one point nothing? Oh, God is great. So let me put on my science hat. I want to impress you as an astronomer. There is something up there that they call the Southern Ring Nebula. The Southern Ring Nebula is an explode, expanding cloud of gas surrounded by a dying star. 
Stars die. They don't have funerals for them, but they die. That cloud of gas surrounded by a dying star is 2,000 light years from Earth. Listen to this. A light year is how far light will travel in one year on Earth. In other words, how far light will travel. So light travels in one year on our Earth six trillion miles. In other words, you see a light now, we turn off the light, you put the light on, immediately we see the light. But the further and further you get away from the source of the light, the light has to travel to get to you. So a light year is how far light will travel in un año, one year. Six trillion miles. This place, my good old southern ring nebula, is 2,000 light years from earth. And God made it. God made that. And how big was your problem again? How big was my problem? What can't God do? Out of nothing. Look, that's 2,000 times 6 trillion. Then there's the always popular pillars of creation. This is a region that gives birth to new stars. It's 6,500 light years away. One light year is 6 trillion miles. This is 6,500 times that. That's how far away that is. And finally, the always popular Carvina Nebula, which is home to many massive stars. You know, our sun is a star. These stars are several times larger than our sun, and that's 7,600 light years away from us. And it's expanding. This is all expanding. It's moving away from the original moments where everything started. That's what God can do. Out of nothing. He just speaks and it happens. Praise God. My faith just got bigger. Can we say amen? So, that same God, let me close. That same God, that same God who did all that says to us this in Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He's not only awesomely great, he's so lovingly kind that just like a parent would see their child struggle with something and your heart goes out to that child, he feels everything we feel. Because Jesus was tempted in every way like we are. He lived here on earth. He knows what it is to be giving a sermon. And on the edge of the crowd, the people are planning to kill him. You think you face rejection? He knows everything. He knows what it is to have friends let him down. His own disciples. He knows what it is to have people turn on him. Peter denied him three times. Let down. Put down. Left out. Mocked. Ridiculed. He knows everything. He has every feeling you have and go through every day of your life. He knows all about it, and he's touched, the Bible says, by it. He's moved with compassion 
because we're his children. So that God of the universe says, therefore, let us come. The writer is saying in the name of the Lord, come on, let's come. Now notice, that's a verb. The greatest action you and I can make today is not anything with our legs and where we go and what we do, but it's to move your mind and your heart to the throne of grace. That's an invisible throne. It's the place of prayer. When you go to pray, you're going to the throne of grace. Your body might not move, and you don't have to build a tower. That's so silly. Build tower, prayer towers, like being up 40 stories gets you closer to God. You can be in a basement and pray. You can go down. So therefore, let us come boldly with confidence today with whatever you have. Whatever your stuff is, let us come. Don't get overwhelmed by it. Don't complain to people. Don't make yourself the victim. It won't change anything. It is what it is. Es lo que es. It is what it is. You can't run from it. You can't deny it. You can't be a baby about it. It, The pressure is the pressure. The problem is the problem. The heartache is the heartache. So let us come boldly with confidence because we know even though he's so great that he created that universe, he's also so tender that he's interested in every little intricate problem we have in our lives. Every feeling, every negative vibe, every everything. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Notice, it's not a throne of judgment. He doesn't want to judge us. He wants to help us get to the throne of grace, he's saying, because you can get help there. God wants to help us. What parent don't want to help his child? Think of the blasphemy is too strong a word. Think of the insult. That it is to God that we bear our own problems and don't bring it to him like he doesn't care. And yet we care for our children. We care for our friends. We care for our family. But we act as if, oh, he's too big and busy and far away. No, he's as close as the mention of his name. You just say the name of Jesus and let your heart go to the throne of grace. Notice that we may receive. What prayer is about is receiving Not begging, receiving. You ask, you believe. He's not against you. He's for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? He wants to help you today. If you don't get help, don't put it on him. It's on you and me. We wouldn't come and make the simple trip to the throne of grace. Now do you understand why God called his temple in the Old Testament? My house shall be called a house of Why? Because it's when we pray that we can receive. The Bible nowhere says, let us come boldly to the sermon. Come boldly to the Brooklyn Tabernacle, a building. Those might be helpful, but unless you get to the throne of grace, you miss out. I miss out on what God wants to give me. Notice, to receive. Wouldn't you like to be receiving something from God every day? To meet the very thing you're going through? And it's free. And he's not going to judge us. Christ took our judgment. We're the children of God. Come on, let's celebrate that by saying amen. Therefore, let us come with confidence boldly to the throne of grace that we might receive what? And I'm done. Listen, concentrate. That we might receive mercy 
Well, wait a minute. I'm a Christian. He already forgave me. I know, but we need daily mercy because we mess up. And if you don't clear your mess-ups, your sins, your wrong words, your wrong attitudes, that, gets, that, that festers, and it cuts off your communion with God. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. we got to go every day. Lord, I shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have looked at that. Lord, forgive me. And he's ready to forgive. He has fresh mercy every moment. Where, do, where does he give mercy? Not at the church, at the throne of grace. Where the action is, is at the throne. Why, now you get it. Now, I got a call from a minister I was trying to help from a certain Midwestern state. I was on the phone with him this week. We were talking about such things. And I said, I I don't know much about your state, but I know this. There's not one out of 100 churches that have a prayer meeting. Who do you think designed that? God or Satan? If Satan can cut us off from praying privately and corporately, our goose is cooked. I know, but I know the word. Yeah, but grace doesn't come by knowing the word. Grace comes at the throne of grace. Mercy and grace, strength, help, revelation, wisdom, endurance. It all comes from God at the throne of grace. That's why Ian Bounds said the world can really be divided between two kinds of people. There's people who pray, people who don't pray. End of story. Don't give me black, white, Hispanic. I'm not interested. There's two kinds of people right in this room. There's people who pray and go to the throne of grace every day, and there's people who don't pray. They can make it on their own. They're deceived. They're distracted. They're proud. No, I can make it. I'm not helpless. And then there's others who are, oh, I'm helpless. Oh, do I need the Lord. How many are more sure today you need the Lord every day? Wave your hand to me. I mean, I need the Lord. If he can help me buy a suit for my wife. Can he help you and I through every situation? No, I mean for real. Mercy that we need and we can get every single day. And finally, grace. What's grace? So grace in this context, grace is many things in the Bible. Important word. First, grace is unmerited favor. We're saved by grace. What does that mean? You can't earn your salvation. You can't be a good boy or a good girl and God sign off on you. No one's going to heaven by the works of the law, by being nice or good. No way. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Anyone going to heaven enjoying salvation is saved by grace. God's unmerited favor. Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you deserve. That's mercy. Grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve. Blessing. His love in action. Help. Just when you need it. And at the throne of grace, there's specially designed grace. You know, there's general grace, like wake up in the morning grace. Locomote to your job grace. That's common grace. God gives us grace. The ability for our lungs to work. (sniffs) Breathe out. But then there's all specialized packages of grace that God has designed just for you and me. Special grace. Like you wake up in the morning and you can't even go on. You feel down. You got the blahs on steroids. Just, that ever happened to you? God's got grace for that. If you go to him, he'll put, oh, praise God. What was that? Oh, thank you, Lord. My blahs are gone. There's hope. There's purpose in my life today. That's what God, he has special grace just for the blahs and downness. How about when you had your heart broken? 
When someone stuck a knife in your back and turned it once or twice, and you feel just wounded like no one cares, if you go to the throne of grace, he's got specially designed grace just for broken hearts. He's like a surgeon. He'll go in and heal your heart. Whatever your situation is, Satan is attacking you with temptation. You're being tempted to go back to your old nasty lifestyle. He's got special grace for that. If you go to the throne of grace, just tell him, Lord, you see what's happening? Lord, you said come to the throne of grace. I'm here now. Give me that special grace I need. Special grace. You need a miracle in your home, a miracle in your finance. He's got grace. There's grace for everything at the throne of grace. That talks about supply. Mercy, not giving me what I deserve. Grace, giving me what I don't deserve, but he gives it to me and you because he loves us so much. Here's how it ends up. There's some of us here in this building, we're going through stuff we don't need to go through. We've settled into a defeatist position. I can't. This is the way I'm made and all of that. And God is saying, please come to me at the throne of grace. Notice that even though there's promises in the Bible, unless you pray those promises, you won't see the results that God wants you to see. This is why Satan wants to rob us of prayer. No time with God. Too busy. She's right. Sit. Be still. But talk to God while you're sitting, please. Because you can get depressed just sitting. Talk to God. You won't be depressed. Go to the throne of grace. Pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Just think what could happen in this building if some of you would just get your heart and your mind to the throne of grace. Don't tell your problems too big. I'll put those asteroids up there on the screen again. And yet don't say he's too far. He weeps with you. Do you know the Old Testament says about God and I'm done? In all their affliction, he was afflicted. God loves us so much like a parent, a child that you feel the pain with the child. God's feeling what you're going through, and he wants to help. That's why we're going to end the meeting by making God happy. We're going to turn this into a house of prayer. Just bow your head. Just come on, close your eyes, bow your head. If you're here today and say, Pastor, those verses are like, I mean, they're like water to me in a desert. Now I know he's omnipotent. I've known that, but what a reminder. But now I know he's concerned about the smallest thing in my life. Hurt feelings, broken heart, pressure of finances, wayward children, a sense of lostness and confusion. He has grace just for that. He'll give you direction. It's called the grace of spiritual direction from God. He'll give it to you. Why would he want us to suffer if he already gave us his son? Get up out of your seat if you need something from the Lord. Just stand up. Stand up where you are and say, Pastor, I need grace. I need to get to the throne of grace. I'm not leaving the building until I say a prayer. Just stand up right where you are. Thank you. Thank you. All over the building. All over the balcony. Just stand up. I need something from the throne of grace. I might need mercy. I've been doing things, going places. I'm involved in some stuff. I know they're not right. God, forgive me. What kind of madness is this in me? Or maybe just, God, I've run out. Listen, Elijah ran out of steam, the great prophet, and wanted to die. That's how discouraged he got. There's special grace just for discouragement. Come on, God will help you. Please listen to me. God will help you today.
Lord, you're taking away fear from our sister. Her pregnancy is going to be beautiful. We're asking for special grace for this expecting mother. You have grace for that too, Lord. There's nothing that we ever meet in life that you don't have a package of grace for us. I thank you for singling her out, Lord. Give her a beautiful baby, a baby that's going to praise you and serve you all the days of his or her life. We thank you for your goodness to us. Gracias, Señor, por todo, Señor. Te amo mucho, 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 Señor. We love you so much, Lord. Bless not only the offering as we leave, but bless the ministry fair that people will be led by the Spirit and see something, hear something that will trigger desire in their lives to serve you. Thank you for just the joy of being here, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, before we do anything, one more standing ovation. Come on, for the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Lord Jesus Christ. Give someone a hug. Somebody give someone a handshake. Come on.